Galatians 5, starting at verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Thanks very much. Um, You may have wondered why we stopped at verse 25. That's because I think actually verse 26 is best understood as part of chapter 6 rather than part of chapter 5. So as we read this uh, this evening and uh, two more evenings as we focus on the fruit of the Spirit, we're we're not going to be looking at verse 26. So um, let's pray and ask God to help us with this now. Father, this is a a wonderful passage. Uh, There's an awful lot that we can be focusing on and saying about this. And we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to your word now. And uh, we pray, Father, that we may be filled with your spirit and thrilled by the truths that are in your word as we study this together this evening. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, last Sunday we did a bit of background to the Christian life from this same passage, why it feels like such a battle to live in God's way. And we saw that there are two natures. On the one hand, the the flesh, or I call it the sarks, which is Greek for flesh. That's the word that's in the original here. Because the the flesh makes you think of, you know, flesh on your body and so on. It can get a bit confusing. Uh, Sarks is clear, I think, because it means our old nature, the, the nature that we were born with. And that's on the one hand, and then on the other hand, we have the spirit, our new nature, uh, our nature that's being renewed by God's spirit bit by bit as we walk with Jesus day by day. And these two natures, the flesh, uh, the sarks, and our new nature are in conflict with each other every day of our Christian lives. Well, this evening, I want to finish off this introduction, and then we're going to look at the first three parts of the fruit of the Spirit. So uh, the first point this evening, as we think about real fruit, is to say, well, we're going to look, and there's the fruit, and we're going to be looking at being fertile. Now, what is happening here, the fruit of the Spirit, that it's very important for us to realize, is, and especially as we go on to look at love and joy and peace just a little bit later on, is to say, these are not things for us to strive for. 
They're not things for us to say, oh, I'm desperate to be, I'm going to do my best today to be more loving, and I, and I must be more joyful in the morning, and uh, I've really got to be uh, uh, full of peace as I'm facing this interview this week, and so on. Now, actually, what this is saying is, those are, those are marvelous things, but they're things that God does in our lives by his Spirit. Those are things that the fruits that, that God produces in our lives as God works in our lives. And actually, what we need to be doing is to be, um, and what, what we want to do in these three sermons on, on the fruit, three in, each, three in each week, today, next week, and in, in three weeks' time, is to, uh, is to be saying, well, love and joy and peace, for instance, this evening, those are wonderful things, and I would love to have those. Please, Lord, would you be, would you be growing love in my heart by your Spirit? And when I'm thinking of joy, I've understood it more tonight, Lord. Please, Lord, would you be growing that more in my life by your Spirit? And uh, Lord, please help me to be fertile. Help, please help me be the, the kind of person where you can more easily grow this fruit in my life. So if you want verse 22 in your life, then how can we be the kind of people where that happens. Well, there are three things here that we need to be doing. And uh, so the first thing, as we're thinking of real fruit, the first thing is to say commitment. Have a look at verse 24, the beginning of it. Those who belong to Christ Jesus. That's a description of a Christian. If you're a Christian, you belong to Christ Jesus. You're under new ownership. Um, like when you sell your car, you fill in the forms and then you get uh, uh, your new one and, uh, uh, and you're the new owner of it or the new keeper of it, according to DVLC, DVLA, whatever it's called. And, uh, and when you become a Christian, now you have a new owner. You are now owned, not by the devil, you are now owned by Jesus Christ. You belong to Jesus Christ. So you've made that commitment, that decisive commitment, and you are now his and we've got to remember that. So when we're tempted, and the temptations can be, can be brutal to do the stuff, say it's in verses 19 to 21 there. So, you know, temptations for immorality and impurity or idolatry or rage or ambitions or uh, envy or drunkenness and so on. When we're tempted in those ways, we just need to remember, I've made that commitment, okay? I've made that commitment and now I'm under new ownership. I have a new owner. He's called Jesus Christ. And I belong to him. Second thing we need to remember uh, is execution. And that's the rest of verse 24. So uh, second half, well, let's start again. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Crucifixion was an execution. Jesus' day, it took a long time. It could be days. And then the body would be left there up on the cross uh, rotting away for others to learn from the lesson. Now we need to remember that we we are at war. There's no negotiations here. There's no consultation with the enemy. He's saying here, if you're a Christian, you have crucified the flesh. We're never going to draw the nails. The sarks, the flesh, that is an execution in our minds when we think about it. A guy named John Brown wrote this. Crucifixion produced death, not suddenly, but gradually. Two true Christians do not succeed in completely destroying it, that is the flesh, the sarks, while here below. But they have fixed it to the cross and they are determined to keep it there till it expire. So execution. 
And then the third thing here, if we're going to be fertile ground for the fruit to grow, it's commitment, I'm under new ownership. It's execution, I'm putting to death, continuing once off, I've done it, this uh, execution of the, uh, the works of the flesh. And then the third one is alignment. Now have a look at verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, if you look at verse uh, 16 and verse 18, it talks about uh, to walk by the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. Here, it talks about living by the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit. Now, verse 18 is is passive. If you are led by the Spirit, uh, being led by the Spirit through the Word of God he inspired and uh, his inner promptings. Um, But verse 16 and verse 25 are active here. Now look at verse 25 in particular. I think it's talking about the same idea, same same kind of stuff here. Since we live by the Spirit, so we're brought alive by the Spirit, let let us keep in step with the Spirit. Actually, it can also be translated and carries a picture of soldiers on a parade ground. Now, when I was at school, I was in the cadets, okay? I was in the Royal Air Force section. And, uh, uh, and one of the things we learned to do was some drill. And so when we're on the parade ground, one of the things you have to do is you have to make sure you... So if you have one person standing here, for instance, then uh, imagine someone standing there, and then you put your arm out to one side, assuming that all teenage boys have the same length arms, of course, and you put your hand out to one side, clench the fist up against his shoulder, and then you know you're, you're the right distance. So it's dressing by the right, right, dress, and, and then you put your hand down by his side and so on, and then you have another person standing here. So you get a parade ground with uh, you know, dead straight lines and dead straight columns there. That is a very good picture of what we're doing when we are uh, aligned uh, with the spirits, when we're keeping in step with the spirit. It's got the idea of a program. It's got the idea of drill. It's got the idea of lining up. So you've got one person here, the Holy Spirit, and everyone else and all of your life is lined up on him. Okay? Now, um, that is, that is very important that we line up with one person and we're lined up by the, with the Spirit of God. But remember as we do that, the Spirit doesn't just say no adultery, but as we are lined up with him, he also will work other things. So he will grow self-control in our lives. So we'll be saying, actually, I don't want to do adultery. The Spirit has grown self-control. I don't want to uh, uh, be going off and doing that kind of thing, for instance. Or the uh, sexual immorality or the impurity and all the other things that can be involved with that. And, uh, uh, And as we line up with the Spirit, it's not so much don't get drunk, but that's what it says there, but actually he grows joy and self-control in our hearts. So we find actually I really don't want to get drunk because I have a joy in Jesus and I don't want to go and get hammered on a Friday night and, uh, because I have much better things to do in my life. And, when we, and then we begin to find too things like you know, loving your neighbor as yourself. It's not drudgery, but it's a delight. To love other people, to be involved in their lives. It's fine, we want to, because he's growing love in our hearts. So how can the, um, the fruit grow? Well, through that being fertile land, fertile soil. You've made the commitment, you now belong to Jesus. Let's be clear about that, that will never change. Execution, that decisive execution, crucifixion of our sinful natures. And then this day-by-day alignment with the Spirit and being lined up with him, and, uh, and then as a result of that, walking in step with him.
Now we're going to look at these three parts of the fruit of the Spirit. And the first one of these that we're looking at tonight, we're just looking at the three of them tonight. The first one is love. Now let me tell you this story. Just outside the city of uh, Sinope in the 4th century, there was uh, a Christian called Phocas. That's P-H-O-C-A-S. And travellers frequently um, passed his house, and he liked to offer them rest and a meal and a drink so that they could go on their way refreshed. And he'd look for the opportunity as he did that to be able to share his faith with his guests. Well, it was during the reign of the Emperor Diocletian, an order was issued that all Christians should be put to death. And high on the execution list was Phocas of Sinope. And a detachment of Roman soldiers arrived and they came to Phocas's house just outside Sinope and they stopped there and they asked the whereabouts of a Christian called Phocas. And he replied, well, I know him well. He lives nearby. Why don't you and your men stay with me for the night and then I'll take you to him in the morning? And so the men from Rome accepted this offer and Phocas looked after them well. He prepared uh, somewhere for them to stay. He gave them a meal and drink. And then he went into his garden and dug his grave. And in the morning, he told the soldiers that he was Phocas. And the soldiers were just simply astonished at his love for them. And uh, they insisted that they couldn't kill one who was so kind and so loving. And Phocas replied, oh no, please do. That is your job, your responsibility. I'm a Christian. Death is not important to me. I know that heaven awaits. Whereas if you don't fulfill your orders, you could all die. You must do your duty. It will not alter my love for you. And so the execution took place. And his body was gently lowered into his self-dug grave. And the love that had given so much to so many travellers had no more to give. It had given all. Love. It was a new word then. They'd had a, a, a verb. They'd had the verb, but this is the noun, agape. Self-sacrificial love. A love which never lets go. A love which is unconditional. It means the love actually which God has for us. And when you read here, the fruit of the Spirit is love. It means the love of God growing in our hearts. It means a love which actually was a stranger to this planet until 2,000 years ago. But now maturing in your heart today, this evening, now. It's a love which you may well think of other people here and think, well, they have this agape love. And I would love to have that love in my life. Lord, please would you grow that love in my life. This is a love which loves the unlovely. It loves the unattractive. It loves the inconvenient. It loves the selfish. It loves the people who take up loads of your time. This is a love which loves without hope of return or reward. A love which gives and not demands. A love which not only is God-like, but it's a love which defines God. 
God is this love. And it grows in our hearts. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That's 1 John 3, 1. Or in the authorized version, what manner of love. Or actually that word, what manner of love, it could be translated, what foreign visitor love that God has lavished on us. Come from the outside. Come from God to this planet and now changing our lives. An extraordinary thought. Love's the word. Agape. Just a word about uh, love, genuine and counterfeit. Genuine agape, alien love, is summed up in John 3.16, isn't it? You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's a characteristic of this agape is that it gives and gives and gives sacrificially. And of course, we see that at the cross. Where's the best place to see the love of God? It's always at the cross. The cross of Calvary reveals God's true nature. And I hope you are wanting to pray that God, by his spirit, would grow this sacrificial, self-committing love for others, for him, in our lives. This love which grows and gives and gives, no strings attached, that that would be growing in our lives. When you love someone, it's very important that we don't just love people for how that makes us feel about ourselves. Because sometimes we can love other people because it makes us feel good. Quite often, you know, I'll go and visit someone and I come out thinking good about myself for having done that. That's not agape love. That's a counterfeit. So we need to pray that God would help us to love without any hope or expectation of any reward of any kind. That is love. Agape. God's love. And when we see it in other people, it's very attractive. And we'll find that we want to be like that too. Just a word about 1 Corinthians 13. Much loved of weddings. I'm going to be speaking on 1 Corinthians 13 at the wedding in a couple of weeks' time, actually. And, uh, and it is a great passage about love. Um, it's really good. Things like love is patient, love is kind. Although, actually, in the original, it was a bit of a rebuke. So he was saying that in verse 4. Love is patient. And Oh, and by the way, guys in Corinth, you're not really. And love is kind. And, oh dear, it's hard to describe you as being kind. And uh, love is uh, not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs, that's in verse 5. But actually saying, actually, you get a bit bit stroppy, don't you? And you have got a bit of a memory about the way that you've been wronged. But it is a great picture of of, uh, love. When it says there, no record of wrongs, that's an accounting term. So you can imagine just kind of opening up an Excel spreadsheet and, with, and you know, for many people, it's almost as if they've got a, a spreadsheet there of, of a record of how they've been wronged. But this is saying, you open it up, and, uh, and you find the file, and so on, and you open it up, and there's nothing. It's just a blank sheet. There's nothing there. There is no record of wrongs. And I love, through there, we've got the Cranmer Room. Thomas Cranmer was, uh, is named after, was an archbishop, and he uh, was burnt at the stake in Oxford, 20, 21st of March, uh, 1556, that's 461 years ago. Now, Cranmer, 
It used to be said of him that if you did him a disfavor, you would make a friend for life. I love that. And just before he was burned at the stake, he said this, I never had greater pleasure in all my life than to forget and forgive injuries, to show kindness to them that sought evil in me. And for those who knew Thomas Cranmer, his love, his kindness, his forgiveness, well, that's three fruit of the Spirit here. And I'm sure that would have just greatly, hugely encouraged those he knew to be like that too. And as we see these things growing in one another, it will make us pray, Lord, please grow those things in my life too. So that is a few words about love. And our second, joy. Joy. Uh, it used to be that BMW uh, told us that uh, having a BMW would uh, bring you joy. Um, follow that through, and it's a nonsense, isn't it? Buy the right car, it'll give you joy. Marry the right husband or wife, it'll give you joy. Have children, it'll give you joy. Buy a house, it'll give you joy. Live in Hove, of course, it'll bring you joy. Get that job, live a long life, it'll give you joy. Uh, we need to be clear that joy is not some kind of elation based on experiencing good things or, or uh, being in a good mood or having good things in your life. Real joy is the experience of knowing the blesser, not the experience of having what the blesser gives you. Okay? Joy is a delight in God for the sheer beauty and worth of who our God is. And it's a strong thing. The biblical words for joy are strong words. Uh, Dr. Melba Colgrove. Do you think that's male or female? Melba. Male? Anyway, it doesn't really matter, does it? Anyway, he or she, whoever it was, uh, said, joy is a feeling of grinning inside. Isn't that good? Grinning inside. It's about knowing God personally at a deep and profound level of our being. Joy comes from that deep knowledge of, of knowing our loving, saving creator. And it's profoundly personal. And it never ever depends on our circumstances or our possessions or our station in life or the events of life that we're going through. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of Richard, Richard Wurmbrandt who was uh, in prison, solitary confinement for I think it was 14 years. And he wrote a book and in it he says this, Alone in my cell, cold, hungry and in rags. I danced for joy every night. Sometimes I was so filled with joy that I felt I would burst if I did not give it expression. So let's pray that God would help us to know him better and that in doing so we would, he would grow joy in our hearts, that work of the Spirit. So it's got on there, joy in believing. Obvious, uh, of course, there is, you would expect that believers come to know God, the one who is the blesser, and you would expect that it to be a joyful, to be bound to result in joy. And there's lots of examples in the New Testament. Look at Luke chapter 15, the lost coin and the lost sheep and, uh, uh, the, and uh, the lost son. Uh, there's joy when they return, when they're found. But there's also simply joy in living. 
In other words, living the Christian life. You look at the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, and the word blessed is quite hard to translate. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, the merciful, and so on. Difficult word to translate, but it could and it should include joy. Joyful. James opens his letter, chapter 1, verse 2. Uh, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. You think, what a bizarre thing. Joy for the facing trials. But actually, it is because through the trials, we get to know the blesser better. And when you get to know the blesser better, you know you will have joy. So joy is therefore something for us from even in those rough times in life. And then also joy in serving. There is joy in serving others. There is, there is joy in, in just being on the coffee rotor and serving stuff tonight. Or um, yeah, Mother Teresa, what a servant of others she was. She also talked about an infectious joy. Pray to God that he would grow such joy in your life, which comes from knowing the blesser. And pray that that joy would never just depend on your circumstances or your mood or your feelings or your situation or what you've got or your bank balance or any other thing here on earth. Because our joy comes by the Spirit of God when we know the Father God who is the blesser of all people on this planet. That is joy. And then the third one for tonight is peace. Now, you hear a lot of uh, uh, stuff about peace, don't you? About inner peace and so on. But peace is always a presence, not an absence. So peace isn't an absence of war. Um, It is not an absence of activity. You can be at peace while at the same time being extremely busy. You can be very still and very anguished, can't you? Remember those wakeful nights as you lie in anguish over your children or your health or the job interview in the morning? But no, peace is a positive thing. In fact, the theologian Helmut Thielicke said that peace is a soaring, stirring, happy thing. I love that. A storing, stirring, happy thing. Thomas Bilney was a 16th century reformer. And while at Cambridge University in 1519, he tried everything in search of peace. He tried confession. He tried communion until it came out of his pores. And everything failed. And uh, he said, my soul was sick and I longed for peace, but nowhere could I find it. But then the answer came in the Bible, newly translated into Latin by a guy called Erasmus. And then after beginning to read his Bible, uh, Bilney said this, I chanced upon these words. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. There we are. Uh, That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And then he said, that one saying so lifted up my bruised spirit that it was as if, After a dark night, day suddenly broke. And he had peace for the first time in his life. Peace is spiritual satisfaction. 
and mental tranquility. And it comes first from peace with God. And those at peace with God have uh, an incentive and the resources to look for peace and to ask for peace and to strive for peace with others. But even then, even if others won't, won't be at peace with us, but we can still experience peace ourselves because it comes from knowing God, from knowing God in our hearts and in our lives. It's striking after his resurrection, John 20, we saw it just recently, um, in John's gospel there, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. He says it in verse 19, he's back again, he says uh, there in verse 26, peace be with you. A peace which comes from knowing God personally, knowing the living God for yourself, knowing the risen Lord Jesus for yourself. And that is the fundamental prerequisite. And as we know God, as we make that commitment, that God by his spirit works, works in our lives and lives and grows this supernatural peace in our hearts. Peace that you can't really explain. Peace that comes from knowing God. Much more I can say, time's up, um, but that's it. But let's pray. Let's pray that God, by his spirit, would grow his fruit in our lives. Let's pray as we think of other people in our church family or other Christians you know who uh, you can see them and you think, wow, they've, they're people, they've got love and joy and peace. Lord, please would you grow that in my life. And let's uh, just think of what we, what we said, what we saw at the beginning. And let's also be praying that actually we would be clear about our commitment We'd be clear about that execution and we'll be clear about aligning ourselves with God and asking that he would grow this fruit. So that's this evening, love, joy and peace. Uh, Next time, uh, forbearance or patience, kindness and goodness. Let's pray together now. Father, we pray that you would help us to be clear about this commitment that we've made. We pray, Lord, you'd help us to be clear about the one-off execution of the works of our sinful nature, our sarks, the flesh. And we pray, Lord, you help us daily to align with you. And we ask, Lord, please, as we've pondered a little bit about love, joy, and peace, we pray, Father, that as we would love to have those things in our lives, that you may grow that fruit by your Spirit in our lives. And may that be an encouragement to us and to those who know us and see you doing that extraordinary, miraculous work in bearing that fruit in our lives, we pray. For Jesus' sake. Amen.